You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. It is... February 24th, 2021, this is episode 81 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show podcast. It's been a couple of weeks. I think the last episode I recorded was February 8th, 2021. I actually recorded two episodes that day, one on the Time Magazine article, uh, basically bragging up the uh, election coordinated effort to quote-unquote save our democracy as uh, opposed to stealing the election or committing fraud. Uh, The other one was an episode about GameStop, Robin Hood, and uh, the various shenanigans going on with regards to that, which as a quick update, looks like GameStop stock uh, spiked upwards today. That was a good thing to see for me personally, since I still hold some GameStop stock. I have held on to it. I continue to hold on to it. I intend to continue holding on to it. But uh, we'll see how that all plays out. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about Ron Chernow's book, Grant, which is in my queue. I just have not been able to put it down uh, the past week, week and a half that uh, I've started reading it. It's a very long audiobook, it's 40 plus hours, but it's very, very engaging. It's very interesting. I actually visited Ulysses S. Grant's boyhood home in Ohio when I was in high school. My parents took my brother and I there, and we got to see the little uh, brick building, as memory serves, that he grew up in, and uh, it wasn't all that far from Hillsborough, Ohio, where actually I, I learned as I was listening to Chernow's book about Grant, I learned that there was a fork in the road at one point in which Grant had a job offer as a math teacher in Hillsborough, Ohio. And instead of taking that job offer, he ended up going off to fight in the Mexican-American War, which gave him the prerequisite experience to be able to serve in such a pivotal capacity during the Civil War. He became acquainted with, personally, uh, a lot of the leading figures on both the Union and Confederate sides of that conflict from having fought alongside them in the Mexican-American War. But he would not have. He would not have gained that experience. He wouldn't have learned the importance of supply lines. He wouldn't have put the quartermaster experience under his belt had he chosen to take a job as a math teacher in Hillsborough, Ohio. Now, the funny thing is, for those of you who don't know, Hillsborough, Ohio is where my wife and I met. That's where she grew up. She basically spent her entire life before we moved to Montana, my home state, in 2012, she had lived her entire life to that point in Hillsborough. And for my part, I spent about half my life in and around Hillsborough, Ohio, not far from where Grant was from. And it was just funny. It was just a funny thing. Growing up and 
visiting the place that uh, Ulysses Grant, or Hiram, actually, as his birth name uh, was, Hiram Ulysses Grant, which uh, he got teased for when he was in school. He was called Hug because his initials were H-U-G. And by some fluke, he ended up going off to West Point, and there was a clerical error He was enrolled as Ulysses, and he had a brother named Simpson, and for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, his middle initial was put down in the ledger as S, Ulysses S. Grant. The S stands for nothing because it wasn't actually his middle name or his middle initial, but he ended up just being tired of being teased about his name or complications and stresses with regards to his name. He didn't want to be called Hiram. He didn't want to be called Hug he decided to let it stick. And so then his nickname in West Point, at West Point, was U.S. Grant or Uncle Sam Grant, which is a little bit better than Hug or Useless Grant, as the kids started calling him when he said, call me Ulysses. And so then he goes off after West Point. He goes off into the Army. He serves as a quartermaster. And He didn't do too bad when there was conflict, when there was a a need for his services, when there was action, there was something to focus on. He just seemed to have a lot of nervous energy, nervous tension, struggled with anxiety. And my theory from Chernow's book is that he tried to medicate his anxiety, his tension. He tried to medicate that with alcohol. And so when he didn't have an outlet for his energy and for his very capable, sharp mind, he indulged. He sank into a bottle and he became roaring drunk, or rather, he became stupid drunk, right? He, he never was, from anything I've read so far, he never was angry drunk. He wasn't a violent drunk. He wasn't even necessarily a depressive drunk. He was silly. He was just childish. He was just, just giddy. And one wonders if his otherwise very sober, sour, Uh, serious side when he wasn't drunk, when he was sober, if that wasn't part of why he drank, because he was trying to be more fun. He was trying to be more carefree. He was just too worried about too many things all at the same time that he didn't feel like he could do anything about. And so that's unfortunate, but there was some truth to the fact that he had a drinking problem and he had competitors and rivals that wanted to get him out of the way. And you also had, I think, responsible people that thought we can't afford to have this guy this guy that's a drunk, uh, being relied upon, depended upon to take care of the supplies and provisions and all of that. And so I think some people who were responsible and trying to be helpful and some people who were malicious and they were trying to get rid of a rival throughout Grant's career threw these accusations back in his face and tried to torpedo his position tried to get him removed, tried to get him fired, tried to get him terminated, tried to get him relocated, tried to get him downgraded or mustered out of the army. And I'm just, I'm struck by the remarkable feat that Grant pulled off, not only in fighting, you know, because he was out of the army for a number of years after he was forced to resign due to his drinking problem. He was forced to resign after the Mexican-American campaign. And then he sent Uh, his uh, energies into business, and he was not a successful businessman. He was always getting taken advantage of. He was always too naive, too um, trusting. And I I wondered to myself, this is just speculation really, but I wondered to myself if he didn't see a lot of what people were capable of and just 
didn't feel like there was anything to do for it. And so he didn't trust his instincts. He figured, well, if I do something about it, if I check that, if I'm really shrewd right back, other than in wartime when you're allowed to, when you need to, when your country needs to, and they're, you know, you're encouraged to do this, you're supported in doing this. In peacetime, those skills, those traits, that vigilance, that ability to see the duplicity and the scheme and the whatever is not celebrated. In fact, it's very often punished because you see what is going on. You see the machinations. You work to check them. And then powerful allies coordinate on your position and destroy you and destroy your prospects. I think there's a little bit of that that happened with Grant. Also, another interesting piece of trivia that I think contributes to what happened with him is he married the daughter of a slave-owning family from the South. And he, meanwhile, was the son of an abolitionist family from Ohio, the Underground Railroad, freeing slaves, ushering slaves to freedom after they had escaped their masters in the South. It was very much a big uh, feature of Ohio. The Ohio River marked a, a sort of separating line where if somebody could get across the Ohio River into the north, they were probably safe. And so you had abolitionists uh, in Ohio that were happy to oblige and help escape slaves to get away and to become free. And so it's a curious thing that Grant, being from the north, from an abolitionist family, married a woman from a southern slaveholding, slave-owning family. And his father-in-law was just not a great not a great character. It sounds like he was obese and controlling and pushy and overbearing and loud and brash and manipulative. And he was constantly trying to drive a wedge between Grant and his wife, trying to get his daughter to come and live with him and their children, Grant's children, to come and live with him as a way of controlling things, as a way of having something over Grant, as a way of trying to get Grant out of the picture And so it's this curious dynamic when the Civil War breaks out and Grant ends up rising through the ranks and conquering the South and defeating the slaveholding Confederacy. It's a curious thing that his wife, she ends up stalwartly, staunchly supporting him, standing by her man and becoming an abolitionist and becoming a pro-Union Northern gal. She's a supportive spouse. But it's a curious thing that all the while hanging over Grant's head was the fact that his father-in-law really had it out for him, really did not like him. But I'm, I'm struck. I'm struck by the feat, the heroic feat of Grant having been mustered out of the army after the Mexican American War, having been unsuccessful in business, having this shameful reputation for being a drunk, follow him, plague him everywhere he went, actually suffering, I think, with alcoholism, that being a legitimate uh, issue for him, besides just the fact that he uh, was plagued by the reputation for being a drunk, he was too often a drunk. And yet, all the same, the Civil War breaks out and he launches himself into commanding a regiment and working his way up through the ranks and eventually working up to the supreme commander of the Union forces. And you can credit him with winning the Civil War. You can credit him with preserving the Union. You can credit him with 
defeating the Ku Klux Klan in the South, overseeing Reconstruction such as it was, as, as far as it went well. He had his flaws, he had his faults, he had his uh, blind spots in terms of being able to uh, see people that were going to use and abuse corruptly their position, their relationship with him. But I think it's remarkable to me that Grant pushed to the side the opposition he had from his extended family, from his father. His father was a bit of an opportunist trying to exploit Grant's rising star to make money for himself. Grant pushed to the side the fact that his father-in-law had it out for him. He pushed to the side what people had said about him, whether true or false, about his drinking problem when he was or wasn't drunk. He pushed to the side the fact that he struggled with alcoholism. And all of that didn't keep him from serving in a very valiant capacity in a very meaningful way. And I think that that is fantastic. I really do. Uh, C.S. Lewis says something in his writings about the difference between people who have virtue made easy for them and how highly we think of those for whom virtue is easy. They have wealth, they have health, they have good connections, they're born into a good circumstance, and doing good or looking good is not difficult. And in God's mind, are those people really to be credited so much as the person whose deck is stacked against them, who nevertheless perseveres, endures, puts themselves out there self-sacrificially. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. They have to lay down their lives in order to be virtuous, even if they're doing so imperfectly, with great flaws, and enduring slings and arrows. I just think that that's, that's fantastic. I'm really enjoying Chernow's book. If you haven't read it, you might check it out. I think it's timely. I think that it would be good for us in light of this election season that we just came through to think about the kinds of things that people say about high-profile people and what their motives are sometimes. Sometimes the motives for maligning somebody are entirely self-serving. And sometimes there's a grain of truth, but also there's a lot of exaggeration that is piled on, is caked on to remove a rival, to remove somebody who's threatening the status quo And I think we do well to be aware of that, both in how we relate to others who are being spoken ill of, and also in how we orient ourselves. And I would propose to you that we all have shortcomings. We all have something for which malicious slanderers could destroy us if they worked hard enough, if they hit at just the right spot at just the right time. And yet I think it behooves us when the need arises and when the ability is ours, it behooves us to risk our safety, to risk our reputation, to risk our comfort and our safety, our wealth, our lives even, to do what's right, to do what's good, to honor those around us. And, uh, you know, one thing I was just 
commenting to my dad. I called my dad on my way home from work today. And I was talking a little bit about this Grant biography. And one of the things that I said to my dad was that I just don't know that Grant would have accomplished what he accomplished had he spent all of his time and energy trying to shut up the people that were slandering him or that were even rightfully criticizing his drinking problem. I don't think that he would have accomplished the good things that he accomplished if he had stopped to throw stones at every dog that barked, as Winston Churchill would say. I think it's remarkable that he instead strategically, tactfully chose to put his efforts and energy into winning battles, into winning the Civil War, and nothing, nothing silenced his critics so well as success on the battlefield. Nothing cut the feet out from under them so well as proving himself capable by winning. So I think that's a good lesson for us all. I think it's a good thing for us all to be thinking about and learning from. If you haven't ever read Ron Chernow's uh, Grant biography, I recommend it highly already so far. It is a page turner. It is really, really good, really well written, very interesting, very engaging, very important work. So anyway, that's enough about that. The other thing I want to talk about a little bit is a funny little story from work, not just today, but from recent weeks, recent months, something I've been working on that I finally had, I think, a breakthrough on today. And time will tell, because sometimes you think you get it figured out. And it's just a phantom. You think you have it figured out, but it ends up being something else. You think you have it fixed, and it stops misbehaving temporarily, and then it comes back and you're back to the drawing board. But in this case, here's the issue. Here's the the problem that I was working on. So the plant that I work out of, Centennial Gas Plant near Briggsdale, Colorado, we have three truck unloading skids called LACTs. And LACT, L-A-C-T, stands for Lease Automatic Custody Transfer. And it basically is the point uh, at which you are transferring product, like a gas or a liquid, from one party to the other. So we have trucks that show up pulling trailers filled with natural gas liquids or condensate. They plug in, they enter in their information, a meter reads the product as they're offloading it, it goes into storage tanks, they get a little ticket, and that's how we keep track of what we've got from where, who we got it from, how much, et cetera, et cetera. So one of these lacts we've been having issues with since at least December. And what was happening was this condensate lact was shutting the pump off randomly. You have a pump on the skid, and then a lot of trucks have a pump on the truck itself. But if at all possible, we're going to use our bigger, more dedicated pump on the skid to unload these trucks, and that's that. It's gonna get them unloaded quicker so they can be on their way, so they can make more money, so they can get more loads in in a day, et cetera, et cetera. So this pump kept shutting off, and this 
as I recall, and I could be misremembering, but I think this started the week before Christmas, and I was taking the last two weeks of the year off, so those don't really count except for the days that I got called in while I was on supposed vacation. And so I get called in, and I'm looking at this issue, I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm calling the experts, the people that we bought these skids from, to have them uh, answer questions for me, remote in to the computer that shows us all of the alarms, and the controls, and the logic, and the programming. So they're looking at it, I'm looking at it, and the weather's just not great, and the truck drivers are frustrated, and our operators are frustrated, and our marketing guy is frustrated, and our plant manager is frustrated, and I'm frustrated, and everybody's just, you know, frustrated because it's winter, it's the week before Christmas, it is bad weather, and that is not the time that you want to be trying to reverse engineer this complicated setup where lots of money and lots of people's precious time through the holidays is on the line. And so we didn't get it figured out, long story short, did not get it figured out back in December. And so it was waiting for me come January. And I poked around on it some more in January. Still didn't get it figured out. And finally, I got to thinking, you know what? I think this is ICE. I think it's a process issue. I don't think this is an instrumentation issue. I'm looking at it. The experts that sold us this stuff, that commissioned this stuff six, seven years ago, they're looking at it. And we're thinking... All the instrumentation checks out, and I, I don't know, guys. Like, might be on your end. Is there anything else it could be besides the instrumentation? No, 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 no. It can't be the instrumentation. It can't be a process issue, rather. It's got to be an instrumentation issue. Okay, well, let me look again. So I look again. Same situation, same answer, same conclusion. I looked again. Still looks like it did before. And if it's not an instrumentation issue, I could look at this for eternity, and I'm not going to fix it if it's a process issue. And so long story short, what happened today is kind of funny. It's kind of a tragic comedy, kind of dark comedy. What I found out is that DP, the letters DP, can stand for more than just differential pressure, which is what if you're an industry insider, if you're a measurement technician or instrumentation technician, you'll know this. If you're an engineer, you might know this. DP usually stands for differential pressure. And that basically is what it sounds like. You're measuring the difference in pressure from one point to another. And what that's supposed to do is tell you flow rate. If you're talking about an electronic flow meter, that's also supposed to tell you if you have an obstruction and you're not getting flow or if you are getting flow, how much flow. And so you put these DP sensors in strategic places to let you know that things are flowing as they ought to, right? So we kept getting this DP alarm, high, high, on this skid. So I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at the skid, and I'm looking at the physical devices that are installed, and I'm noticing a DP transmitter, and I'm looking at it, and it looks fine, and I plug into it with my little Heart 475 communicator, and it looks fine. There's no alarms. There's no alerts. It's fine, guys. looks fine. DP should stand for differential pressure. In my world, to my knowledge, when I talk with other experienced INE technicians, they think the same thing. When I talk with the experts that sold us this equipment, they think the same thing. And so it checks out, guys. Looks like it's fine. It's got to be a process issue. 
No, 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 no. Can't be that. Can't be that. Well, don't know what to tell you, right? So we get to looking at it today. I get to looking at it again and again and again. And at a certain point, you get kind of hopeless. Like, I am not going to find anything that I haven't found before. But I'm just to look busy, to look like I'm trying, to show of good faith, and maybe on the off chance that I will find something that I didn't find before. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to walk it down again. And I go out there and I'm walking it down and I'm looking at things and I plug in again with my Heart 475. Still no alerts, still no alarms, looks fine. I try to identify the various instruments, other instruments that are on the skid. And then I get to noticing this one little junction near the pump, near the differential pressure transmitter. And I'm tracing it and I'm trying to figure out what is this, right? This is temperatures, pressures, a junction box. Like, what is this? I've never seen this before. Not familiar. I snap a picture of the plate, the label plate that tells you make, model, serial number, that kind of stuff, specifications. I take it in, type it up on my laptop, do a search, figure out what it is. Oh, that's a pressure transmitter, pressure switch rather, not a, not a transmitter. There's a difference. Transmitter typically will give you an analog value, which is like a real number from negative 34,000 to positive 34,000 or whatever, right? Fill in the blank, whatever the scale is. 1.732 would be an example of an analog, whereas a digital input or output would just be a one or a zero. And you could have a 24 volt signal or a 12 volt signal could have that be interpreted as a one or a zero. If you have voltage on a 24 volt input, your programmable logic computer interprets that as a one. And it says you're open or you're closed or you're on or you're off or you're running or you're stopped or whatever. So this being a pressure switch, it is a digital output from the device and a digital input at the controller. Not an analog output and input. It's a digital input-output. So <clears throat> long story short, I, to test, forced the value in the controller to on. And then we unloaded a truck. And I watched and I waited to see if the pump was going to shut off again. And it didn't. And so, just so you know, DP, if you're an INE technician, can mean differential pressure. Usually means differential pressure. But it also, for some enterprising programmer in Texas, might mean discharge pressure. So, fun fact, there you go. The whole point of me telling the story is at least twofold. One aspect of this is that ambiguity and misnomers and relativity can make solving problems extraordinarily difficult. What I mean by that is if binary conditions are a social construct, and what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, but there is no fixed standard, there's no shared meaning when I use let's say an acronym like DP. It doesn't mean the same thing for me that it means for you. 
working together can become very difficult. It can be very difficult to coordinate our efforts. It can be very difficult to troubleshoot. All that. And you might just find that the expense of that longer learning curve jeopardizes your operation. And so we find ourselves in this sticky situation as a culture wherein what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, and there's nothing so sacred as affirming that mindset. And yet when we find ourselves in problems, in circumstances that are trying, we quickly run out of the utility of that worldview, of that philosophy. We quickly expend everything that it has to offer because that is a fair-weather philosophy. It is not a recipe for success in battle or in complicated, dangerous, expensive, high-risk, high-reward operations. So you have a situation where very capable, intelligent, skilled, expert, probably highly educated people put together these skids and they sell them to us. We pay tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes to buy these pre-packaged skids that are supposed to plug and play, serve a certain function, help us to do our business. And yet, even the very wise, even the very intelligent, even the very proficient, the very expert can trip up those lesser mortals like myself when they don't abide by some fixed standard of what is true and shared meaning. And all the worse if you think you're on the same page, only to find out that these two letters, two letters mark the difference between a lot of lost money and time, a lot of gained frustration and stress, a lot of strife between persons that was unnecessary. Two letters. Two letters mark the difference between finding the offending device and swapping it out because objectively speaking, it's not working, right? It might self-identify as a functioning pressure switch, but it lies. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I think that story, that situation from my work in recent weeks, I think it has a a transcendent value for more than just my work in oil and gas. So I share it with you accordingly. But that is about all the time that I've got for this evening. I'm supposed to be teaching youth group this evening. Middle school kids need some instruction, need some guidance, need some leadership. And I need to prepare my lesson, make sure that I'm ready for that, ready to provide that thing that is needed of me this evening. But I want to apologize before I get uh, out, before I close out this broadcast. I want to apologize for not having podcasted more in recent weeks. It's just been a very, very busy time. And uh, just real, real briefly, I want to explain that my attitude towards this podcasting thing is that it's good, it's useful, it's valid. And I do believe God has given me the ability and uh, that I have a responsibility to invest my time and talents here strategically, but I'm also diversifying. And when called upon to shift my focus and my attention to some other sphere and to help out with middle school youth group or 
if my wife suddenly unexpectedly develops kidney stones or I'm asked to help out with music at church or there's a friend in need who is hurting, um, I'm going to take a step back from this because this is a means to an end, guys. And I think we need to remember that sometimes, that we don't put carts before horses. We don't forget why we're doing the things that we're doing. If this is all about me and showing up to podcast, come hell or high water, even if it costs other people, even if it interferes with greater faithfulness, just to satisfy my ego, I need to take a step back, think about that. And and I feel like I have been. I feel like that's why I haven't been podcasting for the past couple of weeks. It's just been no time for it. So I don't apologize for taking a step back. But on the other hand, I I hope that I have not been leaving people in a lurch. I uh, I am going to be continuing to podcast, even if I take a step back for a couple of weeks, several weeks, however long. Uh, God willing, we live and do this or that. So I hope accordingly that uh, you listeners out there, thank you for listening, but I hope that uh, however the Spirit leads, you will follow. And uh, we need to be Bereans. We need to follow God's word and let it be a light to our paths. We need to pray for grace, both grace for ourselves and our failings and our weaknesses and also the humility to extend that grace, the love to extend that grace to others, the same grace that's been extended to us. So anyway, that's all I got for today. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com. Hello, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM, and also chief editor and writer at On The Rocks blog since 2015. I have just published my first book. It is available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com right now. Are you thinking about homeschooling? Is someone you know considering it? No shortage of books will help you figure out how to do it. This is a book about why you should. Written from the perspective of a homeschooling father of seven who was himself homeschooled growing up, this is an encouragement to fathers and mothers to think rightly about their children's education. What our children believe about God, themselves, one another, and the universe, these are all features of their education, and the worldview our children develop is downstream of the sort of education they receive. And this is why we homeschool. Maybe you are a parent of homeschooling children and you could use some encouragement. Perhaps your local school shut down and now remote learning or homeschooling has been forced on you. Now you could use some help finding motivation to make the best of it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member considering homeschooling their children. Rather than starting you off with another home education how-to, let us start with why we homeschool. And as we figure out the reasons we should do this thing, the way to do it will be made far easier. Just go right on over to Amazon.com and type in, and this is why we homeschool in the search results. It'll come right up. 
Order your copy today.